Well, I'm, I'm on, yeah, I'm good. Cool, welcome. Thanks, thanks for welcoming me. Um, I'm gonna sit, because I have to do that. And as I get warmed up, usually I'll stand, but might pass out a little, so sitting down is the best option. Um, I'm Hannah, if you don't know me, I'm married to Gabe. We have three beautiful, feisty little girls who are downstairs right now, so shout out to our kids' ministry team for loving on our babies and, and, and growing the next generation. Um, we, you guys ever heard of uh, Elf on a Shelf? Yeah, does anyone do it? Elf on a Shelf? No, well, I'm gonna one-up you with Elf on a Shelf. We have Shepherd on a Search <laughs> in our house, because we love Jesus, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, we do love Jesus, but. Um, <laughs> so I think my mother-in-law gave it to us, and it's a pretty awesome gift, but we've been having a great time with the girls because they're at the ages now where they, um, it's fun to mess with them. <laughs> it's really fun to mess with them, and so uh, Shepherd, or as my youngest four-year-old Indy calls, Sepud gets into all kinds of messes in the house. And uh, today is St. Nicholas Day, if you didn't know, December 6th. We, as my family, we put our shoes out um, on December 5th in the evening, and St. Nicholas would come and give us little goodies. So last night, I put out, the girls are downstairs, but I put out their shoes and gave them some gifts. But Shepard got into all their business this morning, so it was, it's been it's been quite fun. So that's our, that's our season. Um, I'm going to be reading through James this morning, and I am not as cool as Simon or John, and I don't have any slides for you this morning, but um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to James, it's one of the last books, and I really like it because it's short and sweet, um, and I would highly encourage you this week to go through it. Set a little reminder on your phone, read a chapter a day. It's just five chapters. But I'm going to be reading through James, um, and I'm going to be talking about how Jesus is Lord of our future, and how we can replace fear with faith. I'm going to pray first, though. God, would you be here? Would you be present? Would you give the words that you want our family to hear? Would you be with me as I try and process through what you've been teaching me, God? Uh, Lord, with, with humility and with grace, with all the bravery I can muster, God, I just ask that you would you'd be with us this morning. We would enjoy and delight reading from your word and hearing with hope what you have for us. Amen. So, uh, I was reading through my journal, I do that, I have this journal I go through, fill it up, and uh, somehow I pulled myself back to last December, 2019, and uh, I found my goals list for 2020. <laughs> it's a good joke, right? It was the, the drum. Anyone else do that? They have like a word for the year or they have a, uh, a to-do list or goals that they want to map out for the year, right? A dream board, a vision board, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> well, that's funny. It was funny. A little bit sad, uh, but funny. But I was 
reading through my journal, and, and um, it was not what I expected this year. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's not what we expected this year. Uh, James 1, nice little segue, Hannah. James 1, we am reading from 12 to 18. Blessed is the man who endures temptations, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. In other translations, that last bit there, first fruits, is prized possession, or, or essentially, we are God's best. So, in high school, there was this beautiful room right off the main, right off the main uh, hall. It's this beautiful room, very spacious. And it was a place where, like, the student body could meet for meetings at lunchtime. Um, you could go there to do homework. And in the back of this nice big room was two offices with two of the very nicest people you'll ever meet there. And their job was to help you decide and give you guidance on what, what electives you needed to take and what roadmap you wanted for your college career or your life after high school. Um, and it was not a place I ever wanted to be because usually it was like, oh, I, I've, I've messed up a class or, or I, I didn't get a, cre a credit I wanted. And really when you're in high school, it's that awkward age where like, I didn't want to wear a coat in winter because that would be embarrassing. So why, why would I go to the guidance counselor, right? Why would I go to the guidance center? It just, it doesn't make sense because you want to be cool. So you'd never really ask for help. It was almost worse than the principal's office because you were asking for help and oh my goodness, it's just, not a thing high schoolers did. Uh, and then on the other side of the building next to the gym, there was this closet. And essentially it was this closet that was big enough for a, a desk, a chair, and a broom and a mop bucket. And you would see on any given day, the door open with a really nice man or woman sitting there um, on their radio or eating a snack. Um, and you could hear the grip of keys jingle whenever they'd move, and it's the janitor's closet. I was a really good kid in high school. Uh, I, I didn't want to rock the boat. I like to keep things under the radar. But one of the worst things I did was my senior year of high school, my girlfriend and I went out after school and mucked her horse stalls and then promptly got in a huge mud fight. And we're in Oregon. It rains most of the time. And you can imagine it was a disastrous mess, but it was so much fun. And we just trekked our happy little selves back to the high school and uh, snuck into the girls' locker room to shower off. Um, it was a mess. 
It was a huge mess. And as we showered off, we were like, well, we can't keep these clothes. We've got to throw them away. So we, we disposed of the evidence and snuck out of there before the swim, swim team came in to shower. And as we were giggling our way out, we overheard on the intercom the call for the janitor to come to the girls' locker room. And all the mutters from the swimmers being like, this is a huge mess. Every, all the drains are clogged. Like, who's going who's gonna, to <laughs> who's gonna clean this up? And um, I just realized I asked my parents to listen to this, so I might get grounded after this. <laughs> but I realized that I actually, my, my thoughtless plan, my good old fun, my little agenda might actually cause a lot more problems than I thought. And I could, I could get expelled for this. Like, it was bad, guys. It was really, really bad. But we were having fun, and that was super naughty. That was really bad. I still have nightmares sometimes that I didn't finish all my credits in high school and I didn't graduate, so this is going to haunt me. Um, but not once did I go to the, not once did I ask anybody for advice, like, hey, is this a good idea? Should I go and clog the drains or should I go and have this really big mud fight or sneak around and, oh man, it was, you know, it wasn't good. So. Um, I was just praying for someone to come clean up that mess that I had made. And I think that a lot of my processing with how I view God sometimes is like that. Like he's the janitor and needs to come and clean up the mess. Um, like I was just doing my best here. I didn't ask for any of this. You come clean it up for me. You come do your job. You see what's going on down here, and I'm just doing what I can do, and can you come and clean this up? Now, I'm, I'm talking strictly to myself. Like, this is what God's been working with me on this year. This year has been quite the grueling year on uncovering things and, and, and seeing my messy parts and what I use to, uh, what Simon said last week, self-medicate or, or self-soothe, like John said earlier. I've been seeing a lot of my ugliness come to the surface anger and frustration and gently God's been saying well you kind of are acting like this is this is this is what you're expecting me to show up as Hannah as the as the janitor like it's it's the janitor's fault when the Drano doesn't work for the clogs the clogged uh, showers or it's his fault when the the cafeteria still smells like vomit after the gallon challenge three days later like it wasn't like, I didn't bring extra clothes after I got all muddy to change into. Like, I don't know. Is this making sense? Cool. Okay. Good. James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Now, this isn't referring to some cosmic force that lives in the heavenlies um, and, and flings around shooting stars for our enjoyment. That in itself would limit who God is. In Genesis 1.1, it talks about how in the beginning, uh, he created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light, and it was good. And it goes on in Genesis to paint the garden and all the things that are good, that God, the Father of light, created um, for purpose and enjoyment, for us to walk in a relationship with him, for communion and worship. Everything is in harmony in this beautiful garden, this perfect place. And for the joy of creation, he gave Adam and Eve responsibility over everything. 
to turn the soil, to grow the trees, to walk in perfect relationship with the Father. It is good. We are his best, his prized possession, and it is good. He looked at us and it was good. And somewhere between the first few chapters, we replaced the authority of God with our own, and all the mud clogged the drains. We looked at our nakedness, our vulnerability, our fragile human nature, and we blamed God for what he made. When in fact, it was us that messed up his good and perfect gifts with our flawed human perspective. Trying to take what he made and made it into, make it into something that it's not. Now, I'm not trying to say that God is just an advisor. Just like I'm not trying to say he's a cosmic force. That's limiting. We, if you've studied the Bible or you've talked or you've met with, have Jesus in your life, you know he's so much more than that. He's so much more than an advisor and a janitor. Um, but I often limit him by putting him in a box that I can understand or control. I feel like he's reminding me in circumstances this year, Hannah, what are you expecting me to show up as? Who, who do you think I am? It's a question that is something I need to think about. Um, you, you only call me when you want something or you see an injustice and you're angry about the mess and you want me to clean it up. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he promises that he knows the plans that he has for me. And that's all good and fine. And I'll make an inspirational um, social media post about it. But when it comes down to it, it's my plan that I want more. We undervalue the power of Jesus in our lives when we limit his authority in our circumstances. We limit what Jesus can do in our daily lives when we place our priorities over his authority. How often do we read this book and we pick out the parts that fit our narrative? How often do we Pinterest those motivational quotes but just edit out the parts that don't really vibe well. You know, that, those parts about his holiness and the authority over heaven and earth and uh, his peace that passes understanding uh, that might guard our hearts from making stupid decisions. That doesn't really Pinterest well. <laughs> but how often do we read this book and we think it's about us? I'm talking to myself here, so if I'm looking at you, <laughs> I'm talking to myself but it is something to wrestle with. How often do we read this, picking out passages and trying to find inspiration because we think it's about us? This is not a manual on how we're gonna get a blessings tenfold when we give our 10%. This is not a how-to guide for how to get your perfect spouse. It's not a brochure for happy times to pull out at Easter or Christmas. But that's how we treat it sometimes, right? What if it's more? What if it's more? The gospel isn't a plan, it's a person. It's God the Father of lights. It's, it's Jesus the Son, the Savior of the world. It's the Holy Spirit, the only authority in heaven and earth, and it's the good news that we desperately need to hear and to tell others. If we treat his word like it had power in our lives, we would never be without it, right? We'd never be without it. If we treated this like the life-saving, unconditional love that it is, we would have no need to fear. 
First John says that perfect love casts out fear. We would commit his wisdom to memory so that we could discern with hope each situation that comes towards us. We would view our circumstances differently, wouldn't we? Of course, this is what the garden looked like. This is what God created in Genesis 1. This is the perfect relationship with our Father, the way he created it to be, walking with us, communing with us, rejoicing with us, and giving us life and life more abundantly. There's this really awesome guy that I know, and I, I talked to him before giving this message, and he gave me this little word, power in proximity. So shout out to Simon for being so awesome with all these words. Words, but there is power in proximity. And we limit that power when we, when we hinder God's authority from reaching into the places in our life that, oh, no, no, we already have that handle. Don't touch that. That's fine. It's perfect the way that it is. And it's only when that control handle spins out that we call on God for help. Is this your plan for the future? Are you going to wait until things fly out of control before you ask God to come in? Our power went out for a week in September. Y'all remember when the fires happened, the crazy fires? Yeah, we, we, we got to a level two, so we evacuated for the safety of our kids and ourselves. We wasn't smart to stay, but we, uh, power went out for about a week before we even evacuated, and we filled the bathtubs up with water just so that we could flush the toilets. <laughs> Isn't that a lovely picture for you? <laughs> you never remember all the things that are happening or going on around uh, behind the scenes until the uh, poop, emo um, poop emoji hits the fan. When it comes to my future, how much authority do I give Jesus in my life? How, in what areas am I letting him in? In what areas am I afraid to move forward, move on, move up? In what areas do I keep backtracking? Because I'm consumed with my own narrative, with my own plan, my own priorities. First John 418, perfect love casts out fear, moves fear off the table, and allows faith to grow into peace, into life, and life more abundantly. So if we don't want a future that looks like our life spinning out of control, and only then do we call out to God, if we want more than that family, what is faith? How can we get more of that? How can we practice that? What is it even made up of? We're going to move in from James 1 to James 5. I tell you, it's a small book. You guys read it this week. It's great. James 5, I think I'm going to read 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? 
let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. Did you know that we spend about six, six months of our lives waiting at red lights? <laughs> Nearly five years of our life is spent waiting in lines. And we spend over 61,000 hours looking at our phones. Those are small things, right? But they add up over time. Our life is made up of 100 million little blips in time. Just 100 million little things. 100 million little blips and perhaps a few bleeps. Rack 2020 up to one big bleep, but just kidding, kind of. So often I get caught up in the big, big huge, incredible things I see other people doing. I don't feel like I have uh, my life isn't worth much or going to make much of an impact. I don't really have anything to say or to give. I'm just one small person. I get paralyzed by fear of losing, so I don't even lace up my shoes. Somehow I think that if I don't go from couch potato to Simone Biles in one day, then I'm not going to hack it and I don't have a future in anything. Speaking of the mindset of an Olympic athlete, those machines trained for over four years just to compete in typically one event, 30 minutes or less, one day. That takes a lot of guts, determination, and a lot of daily small steps to be able to compete at the capacity they compete in. I think that's a lot like our future in faith. Often we don't think our lives are valued because we don't have dreams to go with Doctors Beyond Borders or, or maybe start your own business. Or maybe you're a single parent or a college dropout or you're going through a divorce. You fill in the blank. This is, this is your story. It's your life. We don't think we have a lot to offer because X, Y, and Z. You might see someone up here speaking and think they have their life figured out. Uh, they must have some pretty big faith to step up here. Uh, I'm, she must never struggle with depression or insecurity, and I bet her marriage is perfect, and she never folds the sock swappy. <laughs> that was a little inside joke for me, just for myself. My marriage is pretty perfect, though. Somehow I've brainwashed Gabe into folding all the laundry, so hashtag winning. <laughs> James 5, 13 through 16 talks about whoever is suffering, let him pray. Those are small, daily steps. Anyone is happy, rejoicing, sing psalms. Anyone is in pain. Those are small steps. Those, you could read that verse and just kind of go right over it. Okay, yeah, check that off the list. But that's a daily thing, right? Because we're not just in pain once. We're not just happy once. In fact, our pain can last a long, long time. And if I've learned anything, it's that even when you think you've healed, there's still pain because it will rise up again. 
I'm in counseling right now. I've been going for about two years, and it's maybe two years. I don't know how long it's been, but it's been, it's been grueling. And uh, I've got a really awesome friend here. If you've seen Paul, he plays the guitar. He's an uh, intern for, uh, with Lily, with our campus ministry. And um, he's going to, to school to be a counselor. And he told me that the, typically people only come to counseling for one session. And, and usually, if they go for longer than that, they go for eight sessions. Because in eight sessions, you usually learn all you need to learn. And you can go on with your life. And I'm thinking, I'm in. I missed something there because every time I go, there comes uncover something else and, and, and pain that, that I thought I dealt with gets uncovered again. And there's a new layer or a new, a new piece to it. If you're in pain, pray. This is a daily thing. You just don't do one and done. It just doesn't work that way. We're relational beings. We have deep feelings. We have deep needs. It's, it's, not, it's not that easy. So level the playing field with you. I have confession to make. I am afraid nearly 90% of the time. <laughs> my past habitually puts me in a state of fear when it comes to moving forward towards my future. The hopes and dreams I have are constantly at war with the lies and the betrayal of my past. If I've said anything this morning that can relate to you, just know that you're not alone. It's one of the reasons we need family. It's one of the reasons we need community and relationships because our paths and our lives might have different stories, but they meet up at points. And there's deep pain for all of us. And I, I did talk about how we like to handle things our own way and we, we think of, or I think of God as a janitor to clean up my messes, but there's also the piece that we've been through a lot in our lives. It's not just one way. We, we're not just the lords of our lives sometimes. Sometimes we, we have come from a place of, God, I did ask. I have been pressing into you. I have been faithful. I've been showing up, and I'm hurt you got here to this day. Right now, you're living and breathing today. But maybe you're barely breathing. Maybe it was a struggle just to get out of bed this morning. Maybe you, you, you're watching this from home because that's really all you could do. That's all the strength you had. And so for my Grace City family online, this is your friendly reminder to go brush your teeth. But really, just getting out of the bed in the morning sometimes is, is grueling. It's hard. You've been pressing into Jesus and you're trying your best to believe that he works for the good of those who love him. You've given him your dreams, you've given him your broken relationships, your mom's cancer, your reputation. And his answer has been crushing. Or worse, maybe you, you're met with silence. Maybe you feel like he hasn't spoken at all. Maybe this year has been depressing and lonely and dark and deep. It feels like the end, doesn't it? For me, it does. For someone who struggles with depression and, and um, anxiety, there are consuming black holes that feel like it's the end. It's hard to get out of those spaces. When grief and darkness swallow you up, you don't even know what day it is. 
shake my fist and I feel very desperate. I feel isolated and alone. You can't even put together a complete sentence sometimes. Someone asks you how you are, you say good because you just can't even. There's, there's not enough energy to put out what you need to say. You just gasp sometimes. Why? Why is the only thing you can ask? Why God? See, the difference between this book, this gospel, and a self-help book is that there's more to this story. God knows the deep pain you're in. God knows that deep, deep pain. I'm going to read in Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, looking down on the earth that he created, sees his one and only son dying on a tree, grown from the very dirt he created for us. His son who bore the guilt and the shame and sin of the entire world so that once again we could choose to have relationship with him so that we could have life and life more abundantly. The cross looks like the end from a worldly perspective. In all of human history, it would say that there's no hope. We've, we've never seen anything like that before. In our, in our human context, in our brains, we cannot fathom anything but what, that death is the ultimatum. It's the, it's the final, last nail in the coffin. Bad. Um, the cross looks like the end. There's no point to it. There's no purpose left. It's death. The cross is death. God's heart broke that day. The earth went pitch black. The rocks slid apart and the earth quaked. The God of the universe grieved so deeply, he felt so deeply, that the very foundations that he created shook. But here is what a self-help book can't give you. Here is the hope and the future of faith. This is the hope of the gospel. Here is the difference between what the world can give you and what God can give you. Let's continue reading in Matthew 28. Let's see here. 1 through 8. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to, draw, to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples the word. 
He is alive, family. He's alive. He's risen. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not just for Easter. It's not just for Christmas. It's not just for Sundays. It's for every single blipping bleep of your life. And he's going before you to prepare a way for you. He's taking the cross, your cross, your pain, your torment, your shame and your brokenness, and he's making something beautiful from the ashes. He wants your past, your present, and your future so that he can restore the relationship in the garden and do immeasurably more than you can ask. And he's taking the cross and he's saying, I'm not done yet. I'm not done, daughter. I'm not done, son. I'm barely warming up. I see your childhood. I see your abandonments. I see the injustice done to you. And I'm not done yet. Don't give up because I never will. I said I would make a way. The cross is the way. You can't buy your way out of your pain. You can't fake your way out of your past. You can't drink your way out of your problems. I've tried many things to fill the void, and I come up short every time. The cross is healing. The cross is hope. The cross is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is for you and for me, for now and forever. If we, if we don't see the value of the cross, then we won't experience the miracle of healing in our lives. When you expect God to show up as the father of lights, faithful and omnipotent, you open yourself up for unimaginable healing and hope. When he loosens the shackles of your past, when you shake off the wisdom of the world and replace it with the security of our identity as saved sons and daughters, when hope touches your very soul, his rest will restore your peace and his peace will supersede the rest. Is anyone suffering? He should pray. That seems small, right? It's not small. This is not the small stuff. It's actually pretty big. But Satan would want to tell you that it's not so that you don't do those small steps. It's the practice. It's the practice. And there's purpose in the practice. I hadn't sung in three years prior to us moving up here to plant this church. I was in deep pain over what my voice or my gift had caused me and my relationships. I was out of practice. I was starting over. In some ways, I was barely walking in my faith, and Jesus woke me up. He said, it's not done yet. In fact, I'm barely getting started. Don't let anyone tell you that those small steps of obedience are nothing. Don't let Satan whisper in your ear, you should give up hope. Counseling's not working. You don't fit in here. You're too small. Here's the truth, family. We don't need a big faith. Let me just take that off your shoulders for a second. We don't need a big faith. 
We need a small faith in a big God. Mm -hmm. He will always show up. It's not going to look like what you want sometimes. Sometimes, if I can be quite blunt, it's going to hurt like hell. It's going to rip open those pieces of you that you've had scarred over for a long time. It's going to expose raw parts of you that are dying to heal. They are dying to be let out and washed over with tears and cleansed by the blood of Jesus and made right. Abba knows that. Yahweh knows our relationships need healing and our families need mended and our city is broken and our world is at war. He knows His kingdom is so much bigger than this world and his plan is so much more powerful than our plan. His judgments are righteous and just and his mercy triumphs over everything. Do we believe that? Can we move towards believing that with our small steps of of faith? Can we get to know our father better and what he has? Yes, we get that. We get that relationship because of what he did on the cross. We limit the power of faith when we exchange kingdom vision for worldly perspective. If I go back to the very beginning of James, I'm telling you guys, read it through this week. It's good, it's good. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you go and fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It says faith produces patience. So that when it's worked out, we're lacking nothing. We can't be distracted by comparison on social media, on our, by our, our mom friends, by our co-workers. There's no room to be distracted by comparison when we are captivated by purpose. The world will compare and pull you down. We see that every day. I try and, I try and rest on Thursdays and Sundays from social media. It's easy to scroll. Oh, what's she doing? Oh, she looks cute over here. Oh, man, he just got another... X, Y, and Z. It's so easy to compare. The world will give you every option and outlet to compare. But when you are captivated by purpose that is bigger and vision that is not of this world, there will be no room. And with that will come great peace. Grace City, what in your future, how are you expecting God to show up? If you're a note taker, here are some notes or some questions you can write down and kind of mull over this week. Things that I've been working through and challenge myself with. Are we welcoming his authority into our daily movements so that his peace can wash over our circumstances? Are you taking your pain to the foot of the cross so that his healing can give you hope? Are you shifting your eyes daily to the perspective of the king Whose thoughts are higher than ours? Whose justice is greater than ours? And whose authority is over heaven and earth? 
how are you expecting him to show up in your life? I have a little bit of time. I want to read through Psalms 139. Just a couple of the verses. Jessica, you and the the team can come up. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light around you. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness as the light are both alike to you. You formed my inmost parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows full well. You go ahead and start playing. Lord Jesus, we confess that we do not give you the worship that is due you. We confess that there are things that we are holding on to that are holding us back. We confess that we are angry and hurting and in deep pain and we give you those ashes in faith. That you will give us wisdom and patience in our trials to seek you, to seek your good and your perfect will for our lives. That the cross represents new life and hope in our future that our actions and our words reflect that new life and extend grace and love to those around us, that forgiveness would flow freely from our lips and that wrath and anger would be silenced by patience and grace, not by our own will, God, but by our faith and hope in your authority. We love you, Lord. We trust that you're doing something we cannot see yet. And your ways are good. We are grateful for the cross. We are overwhelmed by the cost. We could never earn it, God. We could never earn back. But you give it freely. And when we remember what you've done, we remember that you are not done yet. Father, we rest in you. We will place our plan in your hand, God. We will place our future in your hand because we know you give rest and you give peace 
Thank you for the reminder this morning, Father.